Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of the Square Ball Podcast. My name's Dan Moylan with me, the usual two, Michael Normanson. Hello. Daniel Chapman, who is better known as Moscow White. Hello. Another sensational three points that we picked up at the weekend. We'll get to that in a bit with our heroes and villains picked from this last week as well. First, a quick word about the fanzine. We've got issue eight out at the minute with the glorious Lord Bamford on the cover. Went on sale for the West Brom game. Remaining ones of that, if you want to pick up a copy of the fanzine at Ellen Road versus Sheffield United. Should point out as well that if anybody is trying to read the wonderful article inside about Patrick Bamford and Kimar Reef, and when you get to a certain point about halfway through and it just ends mid-sentence letters of complaint to our Dublin office um, where our uh, head designer slash art director slash chief idiot is working away but that article is now free to read in its entirety on the website and uh, if you're a subscriber you can read all the articles that way if you've got a digital subscription they are all up on the website to read wherever you are in the world on the and bus and the rest of them are complete articles not yes. trimmed everything else in the magazine runs right to the end if you've ever got any doubts about whether you have reached it, just you can check online. It's always available for you. Because that'd be annoying, wouldn't it? It's like, um, you know, like if you're watching the film Titanic, for example, not knowing if the ship made it in or not kind of thing, you know? Furious. Anyway, issue nine will be out for the Millwall game as we close in on the final five games of the season. If you want to get that on your phone or your tablet, and as we're saying, you can read all the articles formatted for the web. Cheapest way to read it, digital subscription, quid a month. And you can get that, read all the back issues right up to the current one from 2009 to now at thesquareball.net. More sensational sass from our club in just a few minutes, but first, another big three points in the bag and another step closer to our glorious generation-defining promotion. It's going to happen because we beat Bristol City 1-0 on Saturday and we're actually quite good, aren't we? We're not bad. It was game of two halves, broken up by a spell in the middle where my stream broke. I think was probably quite common across the internet. Seems to be uh, seems to be the way. I mean, what's so wrong with illegally streaming games? <laughs> I had that awful. I was in that awful vortex, that no man's land between trying to watch my entirely legitimate paid for stream, which was two minutes behind the actual game. So I was effectively watching it on Twitter, which brought back memories of watching it on CFAX, you know, on Teletext when you were a kid. Waiting for page one of three to come back around. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The kids today will never know this, will they? Whereas this time, I was watching it on my phone, cast to my TV where it was casting a video of a woman in her living room filming her TV 
but in portrait mode. So on the TV, on a 55-inch TV, it appeared as about a six-inch picture in the middle of it. <laughs> and I was stood about a foot away from my TV watching that. And when uh, Michael Weedock announced Bamford's goal, despite all those degrees of separation from the footage of the game itself, was it loud enough to shake your windows uh, as it was at mine? I nearly nominated him for uh, villain of the podcast for this because um, when I was watching the highlights back, just calm, like Alioski with a, a ball across. And then suddenly it's like somebody launches with a pneumatic drill and I'm worried about yelling as loudly as him because Dan looking at Dan with his headphones, I was like, it's Bamford! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to sound awful and clipped, uh, as you can tell, because you've just heard it. But, well, it'll uh, be very much like the LUTV experience, so I feel like it'll be an accurate representation of what listening to so that like. so There's just no moderation to the guys. I like, just go over, ah, everything's fine, and suddenly he's screaming louder than Bamford with his knee whacking off the post. So we started off this celebration of another glorious three points by talking about illegal streaming, making it sound like Inception, and you slagging off LUTV. Can we not have a little bit more positivity now as we're uh, hurtling towards the top of the league? Patrick Bamford. eyes on fire, mate. And there was no celebration because if you watch the... They had Luke Ayling and Liam Cooper doing the alternative commentary on um, the West Brom game and they pointed out, I think it's Bill just kind of goes, oh, he's really got no celebrations, has he, Patrick? That wasn't high-pitched enough. Can you do that again? (laughs) I I don't want to be doing an impression of Bill. Bill, Bill is Bill. And he didn't celebrate this goal either. You'd think opening the scoring so early, you'd think he'd be leaping up, jumping in the air, celebrating all sorts, but he just, uh, he didn't really look like he was pleased. I've got to be honest. I can't have been the only person who saw him on the floor and thought, that's it, out for the season. Yeah, <laughs> The Leeds United way. He's undoubtedly snapped his kneecap in half or something there. I actually didn't realise on first watching that he'd smashed into the post as much as he had. I thought he'd just managed to twist his knee or something and presumably snap every ligament in his body. It's a very Leeds United feeling of going one goal up in a, a vital match on the way to promotion and thinking... Now we can't get promoted now. We have no no strikers. Yep, it's all over. That's ended. That goal to put us in the lead has ended our promotion (laughs) attempt. Yes, again, this is how it all ends. But he was, I mean, he wasn't fine. He did limp around for the next hour or so, pleading with Bielsa to take him off. (laughs) But he got through manfully. And I liked uh, Bielsa's attitude was that he's too important a player to the way we play to substitute him for something so, you know, so mild as a a badly. kneecap. Yeah. Let's leave him out there. You're too important to come off. Yeah, but I, I can't. I can't run Marcelo. Can't is all in the mind, Pat. Just think back to those violin lessons that you didn't want to do. Got through them. You got through this. Didn't quite turn into the nine eight that you predicted, Moscow. Nor the three nil that I predicted. Or the draw that you went for, Michael. If if Jack Harrison could take some chances, we'd, we'd have been quite comfortable in this. But I don't want to criticise him really because he did play well and he's proving fairly useful. In the last few weeks. There weren't any easy chances as well. He was sort of yeah. flying at a ball from all kinds of angles. It never really set up for him. There were it? just enough half chances that you'd think maybe one would go in. But maybe Tyler Roberts, if he'd finished off that one, when Harrison, it's one of the best things he's done actually, where he, he nutmegged a player mm. and then basically fought, fought his way through the next one, pulled it back and you're thinking, Tyler, just whack that in the back of the net and just straight at the keeper. 
annoying. But a lot of the blame, I think, goes on Bristol City because Lee Johnson in the week was giving it all as if, oh, it's going to be a big test. I'm really looking forward to kind of testing myself against a top coach in the game. This is what the championship's all about. You get these different challenges, all about how we can rise to it. So I was expecting like, oh, maybe they're going to do something interesting. Nope, just long ball and try and hack it in the midfield and... And they weren't good enough to do it. Just it stopped us from playing. And actually the supporter correspondent of the whatever rag they publish in (laughs) Bristol, the headline on his review of the match is Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds United are a disgrace to football and we need to copy them. He said that at the end of the game, I couldn't help but feel that football was the loser. Um, All about just our apparently negative tactics in the second half when Mm. I don't actually, I don't remember coming away from that game thinking, Either team was a disgrace to football or that football had been the loser. Just to pick him up on a minor point there, I would like to clarify that the loser of that game was Bristol City. Oh, very much so. I mean, they lost. They really lost for the second time this season to us. We always beat Bristol. Just, it's a feeling I get. I don't worry about it. And is it credit to us then that we were good enough to make them look ordinary? Yeah, I think they didn't have any chances really, did they? It was a bit like the West Brom game in that when they did put balls forward, it was fairly comfortably dealt with. Casilla gave us one or two scary moments. He, he seems to like coming for a cross regardless of where it's going to land in the box. He likes he gets ahead of the defenders quite often, doesn't he? And comes to stuff, which is a bit terrifying. And there was the one where he came flying out when uh, Matty Taylor still feeling his nose after Brady broke it. It's like, I'm still a little bit feeling this. Tried to lob him and uh, because he the lob was very bad. You could say that Casilla was standing superbly positioned, <laughs> whereas really, if it had been a good lob, you'd probably say, what the hell is he doing all the way out there? But he stood up well too. Well, there was another attempted uh, nose fake rather than a nose break. See what I did there. By, what was the name of the guy? It was one of their weird defenders. It was just being odd. He didn't commit to it either, did he? No. The, uh, the headbutt, the fake headbutt. You need to really throw yourself down for this. He kind of did it apologetically like he's not, He's not fully trained, but maybe Johnson had been... I think Johnson was had sent him out to get people booked. They seemed to be at it a lot, making a meal of things and taking it in terms of the other kick at Ponsers. They obviously thought he could be got at. And every time Ponsers did anything, they were all screaming at the ref to book him, even when he'd not done anything, it seemed. And he ended up just laughing at them all, which is always good to see. But yeah, it, it, I think he kind of knew that if he'd thrown himself down in that situation, he would have looked ridiculous. So he was just trying to imply there'd been enough, but not to knock him over and just like looking at the ref. And uh, Casilla, to his credit, just, um, again, kind of laughed at him, really. It's just like, what are we dealing with here? A bit of credit to the ref there as well, because a lot of refs would have, as a minimum, booked both of them. But the ref just sort of went, don't be dickheads. Yeah. And, and Janssen pointed out the kind of the reasonableness of the referee. He pointed out that their striker gave him some digs in the first half and that gave him the licence because the referee had seen it and was aware that gave him the licence. Like, I'm going to give him some back then. And the ref was kind of like, yeah, that's fair. You two just sort it out as long as it doesn't go cross any lines. Please, Pontus, don't kill him. Do you find now that your confidence off the back of that West Brom game has kind of grown? Because I felt as soon as we scored and we scored early enough to settle the nerve, you thought, well, we scored first now and we don't lose from this position. While the statistics may say that, I still thought they would score, just because that's the way I'm wired with these things. It did get quite tense towards the end. We've had this a lot this season where another goal just would have been a little bit of a gap. Would have been nice. And that Bristol correspondent did have a point that we did do quite a lot of time wasting and stuff towards the end. But you know, fuck it. It's been done to us all it's been done to us all season. Teams have been doing that to us from nil nil. Yeah. From the start of a game. Uh, which is why it has been so outrageous. Defending a lead is kind of, that's all right. And I think that the reason 
you kind of have to keep a lid on it when teams have done it against us after going ahead. You can kind of go, all right, well, this is going to be annoying. You've set him, but you can't do a lot about it. It's the teams that just come and from the only time when they're not time-wasting is when they're behind and they're chasing the game. We had a lead and we were protecting it. I mean, we didn't do that against West Brom because we could see there was a way of scoring three more goals. In this match, just because of the way that Bristol were kind of set up, we weren't going to end up scoring well, we gave it a good go in the first half to see if we could get some more goals. But when it became apparent that it's just going to, this is just a battle, we switched styles. So fair play to us. Nice railing to get an assist back on his old stomping ground as well. The whole thing was a beautiful goal. Alioski's uh, pass for somebody who has long been accused of having no end product. And also there was very little opportunity for him to be offside from that position as well. So it was really all made up from that pass was a wonderful thing. And I always quite like it when a player like Luke Ayling in that position, Bill, as I should call him, sorry. There was only one thing he could do, which is head it across goal to Bamford. Imagine if that had been Luke Varney, that ball would have just bounced off his head and could have ended up anywhere. Just perfectly placed across for Bamford to sort of finish it. Reminds me, did you see the tweet from Scottish football at the weekend that went viral about the guy who'd missed a shot, put it over the stand and it ended up in the sea? I did not. Was he one of our old ones? No evidence either way of whether it was or was not Luke Varney, but I'm happy to say it probably was. Eddie White's career off to a flyer up there. <laughs> Lee Johnson, he got a bit chippy. He's a chippy little bugger, isn't he? He's not, um, he's not very gracious in defeat. I nearly warmed to him in the build-up to the game because he was saying this stuff about respecting Bielsa and knowing his reputation, saying it's a challenge to take on a coach, which I've said before, I'm kind of been disappointed in some of the managers. Gary Monk is the one that stands up where you think uh, we saw his team at Leeds was quite an, an attacking lineup. Maybe he'll take Bielsa on, try to prove his worth. Instead, it was just shit-housing from start to finish. But no, we got none of that. And his, his weird comments where he was saying at the end of the game that um, during the week we felt that we could expose Leeds, but we couldn't get enough love of the ball to kill them where they could be killed. And then I just realised this was basically Heckenbottom's mentor at Barnsley and suddenly it all it all fell into place. He's not an expansive attacking coach who is going to test himself to uh, see how good he can be against uh, one of the best coaches in the world. Just a shithouse rat, really. And he's, uh, um, <laughs> we just go back to his lies about Matty Taylor's broken nose and all that crying. And uh, for as long as he's in post at Bristol City, which is probably going to be for a, a long time because... Um, he's cheap, so their uh, twat chairman won't sack him and he's not good enough to be headhunted by anybody else. We'll just have to put it with, uh, for as long as we're in the division, twice a season beating him. Or three times a season if he gets his wish um, and plays us in the playoffs. Possibly four if it's the semi-final. Although if he does play us in the final, he'll win. So can't have that. None of which will happen. We will never play them again after this season. We will return to the Premier League and have a long, glorious reign of victories. I was going to say reign of terror then. I didn't mean that... <laughs> And playoffs of this season, I'm just picking you up on a technicality, but play them twice more. One thing that's been picked out of this, and you've touched upon this, Moscow, in your match reports on the website, is the returning bodies to the bench and the experience that's coming with it. We picked up on a great tweet from Johnny Cooper, actually, at Cooper 26 who tweeted out about the experience within the team at the weekend. So the Leeds team that faced Bristol had a combined total of 1,095 Leeds United appearances the most in a game since November 2006, which was against Barnsley uh, with 1,100-odd. Gary Kelly as well, making up quite a lot of those with 531. But it is very much a symptom of the short-termism, I think, that maybe has permeated Leeds over the last decade or more. You look at the, the turnover of players, quick in, quick out, and actually sticking with them and building something. 
has really worked. So maybe where Bielsa has done well this year that he's, he came in and rather than every other manager has gone, I need a whole new squad of players to work with here. He's just watched them enough in games to go, okay, well, I can do certain things with these players and they've sort of used to it here now. They kind of will know how to react when the crowd are all screaming abuse at them and stuff. Let's let them have another go at it this year. So true is that because you think about the players who've come in and gone, oh, we love the facilities, oh, we love the stadium. And then actually the reality of match day and the pressure and the expectation that comes with it and they don't handle it, do they? I mean, oh. Liam Cooper in this game making his 150th appearance, I think it was 100th as captain, wasn't it? And he's an example of someone who a couple of years ago, even a year ago, people would have been generally not upset if he'd left. Whereas now he's, I wouldn't probably swap him for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> he's the perfect example of this, that he's been here a long time, but he's, I mean, 150 games is still kind of low when you compare it to the Gary Kelly number. But um, he is one of our... Probably him and Berardi have been here longest. And it's just a matter of if you stick with him, he gets better. You know, we could have sold him and brought somebody else in, but I think as much as Bielsa's influence on him in particular and improving his game is true, just experience and just getting to that age. He's 27 now, so he's just getting into those years when a central defender is supposed to get really, basically know what they're doing. And that's what he's kind of looked like this season. He's just looked like a player. He's just like, yeah, I know the club. I know my teammates have had a season, two seasons with Pontus Janssen next to him. He's been with Berardi for years. Luke Ayling's been here for, is this his third season? Stuart Dallas has been around for a long time. Alioski's been here for a, a season. So he's into his second season. So he knows the league. There's no surprises anymore. And it's all just, you're right. Bielsa coming in is going like, you lads, you know this league better than him, maybe. And Bielsa trying to pick out a team of players for the, the championship. I mean, Harry Redknapp couldn't do that. And Harry Redknapp is supposed to know the game inside out. He's supposed to have like a, a contact book filled with championship ready Nigerians that uh, a host of agents can supply him with at the drop of a hat. And he nearly bankrupted Birmingham City. Bielsa's coming and has got like, now these players have got a lot of games between them. Let them crack on. Easy to forget as well in this game, because we're a few days down the line now, that there was even more pressure on because we'd obviously seen that Norwich had beaten Swansea on the Friday with their only bloody shot on target. And um, Sheffield United had beaten Rotherham earlier on in the day. So it was another absolute must win and absolute credit to them for doing that. And West Brom, of course, drew with Ipswich and sacked Darren Moore off the back of it. All of which leaves a second. How do you feel now after that weekend of results? Like we're losing the playoffs. I think that is the crucial the ending point of what those experienced players bring. And the substitutes, as you said, mentioned in the match report, Berardi, Dallas and Douglas, which is a big difference from Clark, Shackleton and Gotts or Leif Davis, like these players who look good and they don't let anybody down. But to be able to bring Berardi on in a game, so like towards the end of the match, Lee Johnson's bringing on more strikers. So we just bring on more mental defenders. It's a, it's a great position to be in. And it made me think we're getting those players back just at the right time for this running. We need that experience now. It's great that players like Gotts and Davis have had their chance and they'll grow off this season. And if we need them between now and the end of it, they'll be ready to step in. But it's kind of, it's time now for players like Dallas and Berardi, Casilla and Janssen and Cooper to all be in charge and they will be more than capable of steering this club to its uh, third place finish and then losing in the player final. 
as we mentioned in the last podcast, we have a new thing now, the extra ball. Because what we're trying to do, you see, is we're trying to make this a full-time thing rather than a part-time one that we do around work and the late finishes and all that. We want to do more podcasting and we need your support to help us do that. So as a starting point, we're doing the extra ball. That's an extra weekly podcast at $2.99 a month. Uh, It's more content and what it does is it helps support this podcast as well. As part of the Extra Ball, we're asking you to send us your questions via WhatsApp, full details on the Extra Ball. But this week, we are piling into this one like a Birmingham fan going for Jack Grealish. If you were in charge of Ipswich Town, God forbid, what would you be doing to prepare for the Leeds Hordes? Echoes of Bournemouth then in Charlie's question. We will tackle that and loads of other stuff, including the three-way battle to see who will triumph at the board game Leeds United Soccer Suprema, which makes sense when you hear it as well. It's on the Extra Ball and we would like you to have a listen of it before you start paying. So your first month on that is free and it'll work in one of the approved podcast players and you can listen via the webpage or you can download it directly to your phone if you fancy. But please do go check it out and subscribe right now at thesquareball.net forward slash the extra ball. We'll get our hands on the blasphemy baton very, very soon. But first, this a thing that we kicked off a few podcasts ago when Moscow spotted Paul Butler, former lead central defender in a Costa coffee store in Knotsford in Cheshire. I haven't seen anybody of that ilk since. I did pass the Macclesfield team coach on one of my trips over there. My parents live over there, so this is why I'm having to spend some time over there. Macclesfield team coach on its way to a game, but I couldn't see through the windows, no individual players. But it was better and considerably uh, more shapely than Paul Butler, the fat, bus-sized oaf of a man. So we've been compiling a steady stream of people that you've seen out and about on your travels. And we've got some absolute corkers this week. First one. Uh, Stu B um, at Bremner Forever. I'm at John Sheridan on a flight back to Leeds from Portugal. My wife embarrassed me saying I had my dog named after him. Um, I told him I'd not get over the 1987 playoffs yet. It's nice to think that in 30 years' time, there'll be someone on a plane with a, a dog called Alioski or something. <laughs> Telling him that they still haven't got over the 2019 playoff final. Exactly. Hey, do you know what? You know that 1987 playoff final, the one in Birmingham against Charlton? That was my birthday. You would probably just straight up cry on John Sheridan if you were next to him on a plane. I was crying at Birmingham, that's true, not next to John Sheridan, but he was in the ground at the time, I think. You would all come flooding back. Rob Dickinson at R. Dickinson 1987 managed to serve Luciano Becchio and his wife in Tesco without crying. I would probably cry if Luciano Becchio just came to (laughs) buy some stuff off me. Top off, wouldn't you? Baby Um, oil. Bradley Johnson was in the store the same night. Great days. Double whammy there. Yeah. Bit of a twofer. I mean, but Bradley Johnson, I can see why he, uh, he relegated into second place in that tweet. I once served Luciano Becchio and his wife and uh, Bradley Johnson was there as well. And finally, Mark Fillmore at Idle Pastimes, queued next to Scott Sellers. Bit of a throwback one there, one for the kids. For a mini Ferris wheel at Gulliver's in Derbyshire, which is a kid's theme park, about 10 years ago. I should stress we were both with our kids. How do I claim my prize? This is your prize. By the way, getting the mention is the prize. Meeting Scott Sellers is possibly the prize. That's quite a, a, an achievement. I've got to be honest, I think I could probably stand next to Scott Sellers and not recognise him. Well, I did check, by the way, on the Gulliver's website, and I think you're not allowed on that ride if you are over 150 centimetres and Scott Sellers clearly under that threshold. I thought you were going to say then, I checked Scott Sellers' web, uh, Wikipedia and he doesn't have any kids. Does that high thing where you can't ride it if you're over 150 centimetres? It's a kid's Ferris wheel. Oh, it's a kid's Ferris wheel. Yes, Kids, they're like um, adults, just a bit smaller. Uh, you wonder what Aaron Corley made of the events at uh, St Andrews this week when Jack Grealish took one to the side of the head from that Birmingham fan, aren't you? He's probably livid after seeing the, the sentences. Apparently, I think Corley got two more weeks than this guy's got in jail 
for what was um, obviously not a very good idea in the first place, running onto the pitch and uh, shoving Chris Kirkland. It was a shove in the chest. It was more playful once uh, Corley was out there. Um, I don't think there was ever any intent to, to hurt Chris Kirkland, whereas a sucker punch on the back of the head is uh, it's just yet again another example of Leeds United being unfairly punished <laughs> and this time with literal Ooh. jail time <laughs> Ooh. though it was a very shit punch it's worth saying well exactly and you've got to look at the uh, look at the intent you wouldn't not send a player off because you're saying oh well it was a shit tackle but you tried to take his leg off you'd say you tried to punch him from behind and the only reason you would punch somebody around the back of the head like that is to cause them serious damage to their head so I don't want to get all talk sport this is a very serious situation and we have to have moats around the pitches filled with hungry Alsatians to prevent this ever happening again but you know it's it it was assault <laughs> And you shouldn't really do that. Common assault at that. Well, I mean, yeah, Jack Grealish isn't really posh. He, try, he tries it, but um, have you seen the the clip of him um, when he's looking around after it's happened, of him mouthing the words, oh my God, it's like the most, you can even see the intonation of his mouth, the, the brummiest, oh my God, um, that has ever been recorded. If anybody actually got a microphone closer to that, it would probably, I think, uh, in sympathy, all the sort of... Uh, discography of Slade which just disintegrates because something even more <laughs> Midlands had been committed to tape I know Grealish was the victim here and we shouldn't really point the finger at him <laughs> <laughs> however if you watch it he does because you wouldn't expect there to be a spectator on the pitch punching in the back of the head so he does go down I think quite easily to make sure the player gets sent off and then looks around and he's like oh I can't even get sent off I think there's a hint of disappointment in his face when he realises they're not going to be down to 10 men for this. Like he maybe should go to the ref and go, just pick one, pick one of them, send him off. That would make as much sense as uh, a lot of the sanctions because we are getting into the realms with all this, it's like Spygate stuff where points have got to be deducted and all this kind of stuff. And then Dave Cotterall is the famous, the one who's really highlighted himself by saying, we need more security. I'm not condoning guns at games, <laughs> but if the police are going to be armed, I think that's the way forward. It needs to be top-end stuff. The players need protecting more than anything else. He has since clarified <laughs> on Twitter. Can I... Probably for the best. One of the best clarifications. Can I just clarify, I've not said to shoot pitch invaders, he tweeted. But then he does kind of contradict that by saying, I was stating the fact that security needs to be stepped up as, as far as guns, Dave. I mean, it begs the question what guns are for if they're not for shooting people. It's a good question. And I I was trying to work out, I mean, this is one of those things with, again, with Spygate, where you're looking at people like Dean Saunders. Like, why are people asking his opinion? I don't understand why David Cotterill <laughs> is uh, is particularly being asked for his opinion. So I just looked up his Wikipedia page. Do you know what his middle names are? Is it M6? <laughs> he is... <laughs> I don't know, I'm just trying try to think of a Bromley link. He is David Reese George Best Cotterill. He did play as a winger, just not a very good one. He... he wasn't a very good target man or a sharpshooter or some other pun about guns. So, sorry, can I just clarify, was he condoning that or condemning it? Which one is it again? I mean, it's very difficult to tell the two apart if you're... Uh, I think they the, mean the same thing, don't they? If you're trying to make an unequivocal statement as the EFL tried to make, it was good they got this out so quickly. The game was actually still going on and you're thinking, wow, somebody must have uh, rustled Sean Harvey up from inside his tomb and turned the clockwork key in his back and made him speak. The EFL condones the mindless actions, which really, the EFL condoning mindless actions, they don't need to write that down. They just, everything they've been doing 
ever since Sean Harvey was in charge there, has proved that they condone mindless actions. They can put out another statement saying they condemn it, but actually they love mindless actions. It's their favourite kind of action. It's mindless. Alan Shearer was uh, weighing in on this as well, saying he wanted a points deduction for Birmingham um, on Match of the Day and saying it's footballs, I think, because they are so attached to the game and the the pitch being a secure thing for them. They seem to think it should be due some heavier legal protection than the rest of the world. This whole thing about what if they had a weapon on them? What if you had someone had a weapon on them in the street and they attacked a footballer? Would that mm. make it better? It's like if my mum had a pair of balls, she'd be my dad. <laughs> Similar, yes. Not, not exactly the same. But it is. Unless it? she was running onto a pitch and whacking Jack Grealish with them. And you know, the only um, sporting event I can remember where someone was actually attacked with a weapon was tennis. Remember Monica Sellis getting stabbed? I never heard of them having to, uh, you know, deduct Steffi Graf points <laughs> as a result of that. So, oh, it's really not, it's really not good, this Steffi. We just want to say to the lawyers of Steffi Graf. She was not, she was not linked. That, no, but he, that just shows was, the absurdity. He's just linked her. No, but he's demonstrating that there was, there was no cause for that because she was, there was no link and nobody in tennis you're was actually, stupid enough. You're actually wrong. Steffi looked, Graf is innocent. I looked this oh, no. up today. It was, um, it was a Steffi Graf fanatic who did it. That's, yes, you're absolutely right. <laughs> but Steffi, Steffi Graf was not to blame for She's it. She's definitely innocent. She was appalled, in fact, really, wasn't she? But appalled as she was, she didn't say that they had to put fences up around the front of no. Wimbledon and that we did had to have it covered by armed police. <laughs> Which is, uh, should we should we seek some uh, some sanity in the midst of all this? It's kind of one thing. The reason we brought it into a Leeds United podcast when it really just involves irrelevant people in Birmingham is that Marcelo Bielsa was asked his opinion on it, and it's good now that uh, we can go to Leeds United's manager on anything by the sounds of it, and he'll just come back with the solution, and it will be wise, saying that. Uh, this is not necessarily a football problem. It's a society problem. You have more or less violent acts depending on how satisfied or unsatisfied people are. It depends on how important sport is to them. But a person who does the thing we saw yesterday expresses a series of frustrations which aren't necessarily linked to football. The more satisfaction you have in your personal life, the less you need to do this kind of act. So he's basically saying if society was created uh, an atmosphere where people like this were not frustrated and angry and didn't look at somebody like Jack Green and, and feel their the bile rising inside them because they were just happier people. This wouldn't happen. And you can draw parallels with Spygate and apply it to that as well because I'm always peering through my neighbour's fence and through their window. Because you're unhappy with your place in society compared to them? Exactly that, exactly that. Bielsa does go on and making another excellent point of his do So firstly, it's not just a football problem. There are violent people in all walks of life and uh, their reasons for their violent acts are not linked to football necessarily. There are, there's a bigger picture at stake that Dave Cotter or Alan Shearer may not understand. And he says, if we have just one case like that a year, it's an excellent proportion. We wish we had none, but the fact we only have one is a good indicator. And I saw other people, somebody tweeted the, the number of people who attended football matches, either at the weekend or through the whole season. It's, it must have been at the weekend. It's 700,000 attending a football match over a weekend if you add it all up across the country. That sounds about right. One person ran on a pitch and punched somebody. And if you multiply that by all the weekends when there are football matches in the year, the answer is right. We wish we had none, but the fact we only have one is a good indicator. We're doing we're doing well. This isn't a problem that's happening every week. Some people tried to lump it in with um, the Arsenal game as well because a, a man ran on the pitch and ran quite close to Chris Smalling. He sort of jumped him very slightly, but it was less of a jump than like Martin Keown jumping at Rude Van Nistelrooy. 
And it happened in Scotland last week as well. So it's one of, there's enough there for people to a say. Moral panic. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's the, what is it, the Momo. Coming soon to a town of, near you. Yeah. Your kids will be at it next. But they won't. This will just be a couple of weeks of papers and everybody will go, oh, what are we going to do about this? And then nothing will actually be done. None of the problems in society that, that make people want to do this will be solved. And nobody will get off their moral panic high horse long enough to actually think through something and it will just carry on. But then it will stop. It's not going to happen. I don't think we're heading into a world where every single week somebody's going to be running on a pitch um, and attacking people. It's all going to happen during Ipswich Town versus Leeds United at the end of the season. It'll well, be compressed into that one game. I was just going to say, your kids will be doing it next. They might be doing it at the Aston Villa game, depending on what happens. And we should say, for the record, please leave Dean Smith alone. He has <laughs> said a few things about us this year. Leave Jack Grealish alone. I mean, this could be, he's going to be there. And if we if we secure a promotion that day, it's going to be a big temptation for during that end of match pitch invasion for somebody to just make a beeline for him and rearrange his hair. Just fluff it a little bit, kindly. The Ipswich game as well is going to be the, the game that Cotterill gets his way and that as 8,000 Leeds fans are massacred on the pitch for fear of them uh, you know, going near, going near the opposition. The solution to a pitch invasion is just mow them all down. <laughs> <laughs> That's sensible, proportionate response that we're used to from English football. Jesus. Uh, when it comes to football, violence, very much the order of the day. We're a violent, disgusting, dirty Leeds club. We've been fined a bit of cash for uh, having that little tear up on the pitch with Bolton. Five grand. Yeah. yeah. So what? <laughs> Nothing, is it, when we're in the Premier League? That Worth it to see Parkinson upset. And um, Bolton can't pay it anyway, can they? Because they've not paid any of their players. So good luck getting eight grand off them. Yeah, the inverse of that is there's a statement that the AFL have put out today, one of their, yet another of their mindless actions that they condone, about the uh, the squad at Bolton Wanderers not being paid for the month of February. As a result, the EFL has taken the appropriate preventative steps in line with our stated policies in this area and have asked the club for its observations. Real hardline approach there. Ask the club for it. While they're probably still trying to scrape together eight grand to pay this fine, asking the club... Why aren't you paid them? Thing is, the AFL are not in a position to do anything to with the Bolton situation because they've not broken any rules. And as you know, they can't go making up rules willy-nilly just to sort things out. We should write a letter. You know that we should write a letter. So this is not this is not in good faith. This if you're not paying your players, I mean Bolton didn't pay players who were on loan to them, did they? No, there was all thing with the Forest Green chairman taking them back. I mean, and if you're talking know. about good faith. Not paying people money you'd tell you you'd say you'd pay them. I think that's worse. Yeah, the lad moved house and was promised a permanent transfer until he he realised that because he wasn't even being paid his wages on loan, the chance of him being signed for I think two million quid they'd agreed to pay for his signature was zero, and absolutely nothing has been done by the EFL over that because they were too busy picking on us, picking on us. Maybe when they have a new chairperson, they may have some interest outside of just making Leeds fans' lives a misery. And that's the important bit, isn't it? Here, basically, they've slighted us in some way or another. Yes, permanently offended Leeds fans. It's not a good look, but it's where we are. And when it comes to owners, at least ours is now stepping in to the SAS zone. Rads is having another pop. Oof. Sockgate. Yeah, big controversy. We had Sockgate before when it was uh, that Reading player's socks got damaged by, uh, I think, Michael Brown probably televising the Don Goodman was relishing the camera zooming in on a torn sock. This is because uh, a kid 
tried to go in the Bristol end wearing his Leeds United socks and was not let in. Uh, Radritzani says, this is unacceptable and we will we'll invite the family at Elland Road as guests. What can you expect from a club who requests points deductions for no reasons and didn't accept our documentary crew to access at the ground and follow our team? Focus on Reading now, MOT, couple of hearts. It is worth saying it went a bit further than that, actually. It's the fact that they were sold tickets and the dad up front said, look, we are Leeds fans going in the family section. But then when they were spotted in the ground in their knitwear, socks, booted out, kid in tears. It is madness. I, mean, I was thinking about this in relation to the, the Jack Grealish thing and all this stuff, how hyper football's getting. Howard Wilkinson, and having praised Marcelo Bielsa for his perspective, reading Howard Wilkinson's views straight after the Hillsborough disaster and before Bournemouth and all that stuff, he was still hoping and putting out this ideal vision of desegregating football grounds and saying, why do we put the fans behind fences for one thing and why do we have to divide them up so one group over here one group's over there it's kind of ironic that he, he wrote them at the time he did it was the programme notes for the game against Warsaw where he said wouldn't it be wonderful if we could create a game where a Leeds fan and a Warsaw fan can sit next to each other in the stands and enjoy the sport and this was the match that end well it didn't end but it's the game where Mark Hazelwood ran to the cop and flicked V's at them all and basically <laughs> told our own fans to F off which I think was a big example of why Warsaw fans and Leeds fans ne- can't necessarily sit next to each other but it's right why can't a Leeds United supporter with his son say am I going to be alright sitting in your quietest stand the family stand perhaps can you just take my kid in there so we can watch the game and if you looked at how much room there was in Ashton Gate it's not a sellout we could take away segregation and everybody mingles and there wouldn't be a problem getting tickets and Bristol City would make more money and everybody would be happy admittedly it would be absolutely carnage <laughs> well I was going to say Wilco fairly new to Leeds at that point didn't have that much experience of our fans but that game you know you're saying is there a game where why can we not have a game where they can sit next to each other that game does exist and it's called Rugby Union which is terrible isn't it when you when you see it dreadful so, dreadful sport we don't want to get involved in that but you know apologies I, to any Rugby Union fans who listen no uh, no, 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 apologies. no apologies at all like, <laughs> Pat, Pat stop Bamford. wasting your time <laughs> Uh, Pat Bamford, I bet he's had that. He's had the, you know the collar folded up, and uh, maybe he's, he's pull over, slung over his shoulders. The the sleeves tucked into one another. I think he watches the Six Nations, but hockey is his sport. Field hockey is Bamford in the Welsh. All right, we'll we'll include the Welsh. We, we surely have some good Welsh listeners. We're in danger of straying back into the old ways of uh, of a racist podcast, and we don't want that. Not in these times. We want to be an inclusive podcast. We deal in blasphemy instead, and we will get onto the blasphemy baton in just a second. First, quick update on the injuries. Obviously, we saw that Roof is quietly on his way back, for sure two. We don't have a date quite on that. But thank God, P-Bams, uh, our man Paddy there, is fit and raring to go for the Reading game, as is Calvin. Great stuff. And we've got uh, Jack Clark played for the under-23s on the very night that we're recording this podcast. I don't know if he scored, but they won 4-0. He didn't score, but he did play very well. That's good so. to hear. He's got another... It's a busy game for Leeds this week. It's mental. It's um, it's Mondays we're recording this, under-23s tonight. Tuesday night, uh, first team are playing Reading. Wednesday night, Leeds United ladies are playing Barnsley at Thorparch. Thursday night is another under-23s match against Fulham in the Cup. Friday, I don't know, with the, the God Rod inspired, we might be crucifying somebody or something like that. Friday's up for grabs. Saturday we're playing Sheffield United. It's relentless. I bet Izzy Brown features in most of those games to get his match count up there so Bielsa's happy. <laughs> He'll probably just make him sit on the bench for all of them and not let him on the pitch. So Jack Clark's back. There's only really Roof and Forshaw that are 
kind of missing. Every, we're, we're dangerously close to a full-strength squad to the extent that Yasuki Iriguchi is back in training at Grunther First, which is extraordinary. I did, I touched wood on everybody's behalf because I think Phil Hay tweeted that, um, or at least the, the Yorkshire Evening Post story was framed that uh, his look has finally changed. I mean, let's not get carried away. He's started training again. Um, there's really only, so there's Roof and Foreshaw that aren't playing. Yunan O'Kane is the one that's kind of letting the side down. He he needs to stitch his leg back together and then just not play. But at least we, we he would stop mithering uh, Rob Price. If you imagine the amount of time that Rob Price with 40 other injured players and every single day he goes into that room and he's got bloody Yunan O'Kane going there, <laughs> struggling to get back to fitness. And he just be like, we sent you on loan to Luton, so... Bielsa's not going to use here. So is it all right if I just take a shin bone? <laughs> is that all right? <laughs> not that one. Other one. I don't even want us using bits of O'Kane anymore. I don't think. Not even fit for scrap. Not even his humanist beliefs? Mm, possibly. I bet Bielsa's probably quite on board with that, actually. But Maybe you and O'Kane's just farming for his philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> which leads us very nicely into this, actually, the blasphemy baton, which, if you're new to the podcast, uh, also tagged as the God Rod. This is because... Stoke, managed by Nathan Jones, heavily religious, uh, summoned the power of the Almighty to beat us some weeks slash months ago now, and whoever beats them takes possession of the uh, the God Rod, the Blasphemy Baton. Worth saying, before we get into that, we were contacted by Joe McFall on Twitter to say that Preston actually used to be called Priest Town, and they are currently possessors of the Blasphemy Baton. Now, I don't care whether or not that's true. I want it to be true. I think it's probably not true, but thank you for sending us the lie. It was. Uh, it fits in nicely with the theme. There is corroborating evidence on the internet, so that means it can't be wrong. The internet says it was called Priest's Ton, which means a priest's farm or estate before it grew into a town. Well, I guess it became Priest's Town and then you're just going to call it. Why they didn't just shorten it to Priest? And then the football club could then be called Priest Town instead of this North End business. They had a lot of opportunities just to make everything there better. And I don't know, perhaps it's the naming of the town and the football club, which is why God, up until this season, abandoned them. Although he did give them a lovely bus station. So that's <laughs> that's not everything didn't go their way. <laughs> And they nearly knocked it down, so maybe that was why God was angry. It's difficult to find all the reasons why God is angry at Preston. If anybody wants to email in with all the reasons why God has ever historically been angry at Preston, just to counteract their possession of the God Rod, we'd be interested in that. We may not possibly be able to read it all out on the podcast, so... Just to bring you up to speed on this then, so Stoke were defeated by Preston, who inherited the Blasphemy Baton and have gone on quite a run since that point. Seven or eight games now unbeaten. They faced Blackburn at the weekend, held on to the Blasphemy Baton. What was the score? What was the result? If you don't know the score. 1-0 victory away to Blackburn. That was a big, big result for them. Uh, The next one, they've got a couple of games this week. So two opportunities to forsake the Baton. They have Borough away midweek. If God was chemicals they'd already own this. And then they are at home to Birmingham on Saturday. Now, interesting side note here, if Birmingham do take possession of the God Rod, uh, difficult existential questions facing us there with Gary Monk and their violent fans, but we can take it directly from them on the 6th of April. Would Birmingham taking the blasphemy baton off Preston be like uh, the snake taking the apple in the Garden of Eden? This is a joke about Gary Monk being a snake, do you see? That's what I'm getting at. Can you imagine him sidling up to Eve going, come on, the group need the apple. Been working hard with the lads and we, we need to put it on the pitch. We just need just need the apple. I think the apple is going to give us that, that crucial difference. 
Come on, give, give us an apple. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, it's crunch time and we will get our teeth into Reading and Sheffield United shortly. First of all, this. It's a thing we launched way back on Podcast 33 as an acknowledgement of the people who had blighted our lives. Originally conceived as the Ken Bates villain of the fortnight, it's now evolved into heroes and villains here as we set episode one to one. The Ken Bates Villainy Award and Andy Hughes Hero Award, the positives and the negatives of our last seven days. Before we actually get into our candidates for this time, a massive thank you to Mark Howes, the maniac who has done the work that we're clearly shy of doing and we can't be bothered doing. He took the time to listen back to so many podcasts that we've done in the past and he put together on a spreadsheet, which he emailed to us, a definitive list of all our heroes and villains that we've ever picked. It is fascinating to look through. I've only been able to give it a cursory glance, but it's kind of like trying to reverse engineer our minds over the last 10 years um, or however long since we, we brought in the villains. Trying to work out what we had against Johnny Housen's mum in uh, episode 35 is something I just can't conceive of why we would have done that. And then seeing some of the contrasts as well, we went from number 51 uh, the villain of the podcast was the Leeds United Stationery Department for whatever transgression that was. Number 52, the officials responsible for the Hillsborough cover-up. So I think we we really do balance Change these the tone. Out. Yeah. And from- do you remember um, that sort of, I guess it was probably about a six-week period, Paul Rahubka was our first choice goalkeeper? Yes. Won it three weeks at three times on the bounce. <laughs> every, every If he was playing for Leeds... He won this award. And that would have been in the build-up to Blackpool as well, because that was his final game. So we knew he was uh, he was wrong from well, the start. Well, he was at fault for every goal conceded during his time in net. So it's fair enough. It was spectacular. He's the only person to have won it three times in a row. I think my favourite of them all is possibly number 74, which feels like it defines an era in Leeds United when our villain of the podcast was multiple GFH, Luke Varney, Chris Farrell, Massimo Cellino, Salina Ruddin, the Farnan Group, Andrew Flowers and all their families. Which I think you can feel 
the uh, the frustration that was uh, coursing through our veins at that point. It followed soon after Sean Harvey's uh, fifth nomination, or fifth victory, sorry, at that point. I don't even know who Chris Farrell is. Safe to say Harvey's had the most, though. He's a nine-time winner of this. Nine times! It's good going, isn't it? Anyway, should we dive into this time? And his E on the list for the Ken Bates Villainy Award. Anyway, obviously, as is customary, we need to give Ken his nomination for something. Uh, what is it this time? I looked back in this date kind of Ken Bates things to see if there was anything and on um, the 11th of March 2004 I think it was he was even though he was Nolan Grat Chelsea he was writing a programme notes for the Bolton programme and Bruce Buck was kind of saying obviously we thank Ken for his work here but well the subtext of it was but we really 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 wish he'd fuck off now because <laughs> he's just hanging around like a bad smell and he seems to have a tendency to do that places now, and that was 2004 and I imagine he's still the same vile piece of shit as he always was. <laughs> and that was all part of his uh, his kind of descent north towards Leeds because mm. uh, it was them taking his programme notes away that really made him spit his dummy out at Chelsea. They were, they were content to just let him, they gave him an office and he could just piss himself in there and so he starts content until he was all over. But when they took his programme notes away, that's why Roman's heavies became a company and all that nonsense all all for that pettiness. Sean Harvey is, of course, getting nominated. He's up for his, uh, trying to get his 10th win because we found out week by week, we found out more. A 17% pay rise last season, taking his pay to £418,000 a year. And almost inevitably was the report from Sky uh, that their sources, they've read it on news now, their sources understand the FA are considering Sean Harvey as a replacement for Chief Executive Martin Glenn. So for... 17% 17% pay rise and just the glimmer of a possibility that he might actually be in charge of all football. And who else do we have? Gianni Alioski. This feels a bit controversial having twice had him win the award for Hero of the Week in the last two weeks. Twice in two weeks. Um, yeah, but he uh, he was interviewed in the press conference before the, the Bristol City match. You're expecting perhaps we'll, we'll have a, a good laugh with him, but he flat out refused to reveal what his goal celebrations are about. The big... Spoil sport. Do you know what I think? I think he doesn't know. <laughs> Do you think it's the kind of mindless actions that uh, Sean Harvey in the EFL absolutely condone? He said something like, because the celebration for head tennis was put to him, wasn't it? And he said, it's interesting, but it's not that. Yeah. Like a bit of a, a shit Roy Walker. Like, of, it's, it's good. It's good. It's not the one. It's good to thing. know what people think it is, but it is not this. Well, what is it then? He's like, oh, no, you have to ask me some other questions now. So just for spoiling our fun, because I'd really like to know what it's all about, because I'm curious to know what does go on inside that platinum head behind that Europop face. Who doesn't know? Uh, Who else? I think it feels like there's some likely Bristol City candidates in there, be it chairman, that writer, Lee Johnson, all of those for various transgressions. Yeah, chuck him in. I'm sure, even if no one's published it, I'm sure Steve Lansdowne's probably been saying some some mean things behind the scenes. Do we put it all together just at Bristol City as well? Because they didn't let that kid in with his socks on. Lee Johnson's already banging about on about... Uh, he kind of flipped after, even after losing, he flipped back to what his pregame thing had been. It's like, oh, you can see the style and philosophy Bielsa's trying to play, which is a good sign. But there's plenty of good coaches in this division and it'll be interesting to see who plays in that top three. I don't know why he thinks the top three is relevant. It's top two that get promoted. He doesn't even know the rules of the division. I'd love to play Leeds again in the playoffs. He'll probably, his team will finish seventh and he'll be like, great, top three up automatically. (laughs) We're in the playoffs, playing against the next four. Somebody will have to go to him. Ah, No, Lee, Lee. Neither team is going to be in the playoffs. We will go up and they will not get in the playoffs. 
We will go up automatically, I should stress, before you come in there, you, you negative Nancys. The football writer is a fan writer, Matthew Withers, uh, who said we're a disgrace to football. I'm not having it. He's, he's a nobody. Can we just lump him in with the Bristol City? No. I mean, they're a nothing no. club and a no, no. full of nobody people. No. Fair enough. Not having him. He's too insignificant. Sorry. Doesn't cut the mustard. He also, in, in the report, and this will add to your point, his name, uh, Matthew Withers, his first name was shortened to Math rather than Matt. If oh, anybody- he can go, now he can go in and he's in. He's in for that. <laughs> Is that enough? Is that, that he can, the line? can he win it? <laughs> <laughs> math. Oh, no, I'm not, Uncle, I'm not Uncle Bill will be very saddened by the way he's, uh, he's Matthew's gone. I've <laughs> just got that, the Bill, Bill Withers. Lovely day. Another one for the kids. Do you know how you have your turning duck into a soul singer? Exactly. Yeah, put it in a microwave until it's Bill Withers. <laughs> Are we nominating Bill Withers for this? Yeah, I can do. No, no. I shouldn't be laughing at that joke. It's a poor joke, but uh, well done. Uh, Lee Johnson, he, he was a bit chippy, wasn't he? I feel like he, he should be right up there. He was good enough to let us have six points this season, but he just has not accepted it in, in a noble fashion. And we, we are a noble football club these days. His comments are vulgar. Yeah, I think just... I almost don't want to honour him with uh, with the villain of the of the podcast. But then looking through, I mean, we don't even remember who Chris Farrell was, and we get let him win it once. There have been some uh, Ryan Halls won it, Andros Townsend has won it twice. We have quite a, a low bar for nobody's winning this thing. So I feel like he is uh, just one of the people who we when the Mark House spreadsheet is kind of distilled to its essence, we'll file all these people just under other. I'm happy giving it to Lee Johnson, uh, knowing that in the future when the book of the Heroes and Villains section is being uh, written by prophets and gospels um, to replace the Bible, um, they'll just have a, sec- a section of errata and other etc. And he'll be in it. It does feel like this would be the opportune moment for you to resurrect the Moscow book of petty grievances because it feels like these people should go in the list of petty grievances rather than be out and out villains because it's been a, a decent enough week really, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is an award for people who've contributed to the pain and misery of being a Leeds United supporter, which is difficult when we are um, great uh, about to drop out of the automatic promotion places. It hasn't happened yet, so we can't apportion blame. But still, I, I, I feel he's villain sums him up. And also, he uh, he trained up Paul Heckingbottom. That may be the clincher. He can have it by default then, should we say that? He does it out. On to the Andy Hughes Hero Awards, somebody who has brought us happiness across this last week. We'd like, we'd like to recognise the joy that you've brought us. I want to be uh, putting Patrick Bamford in there straight away. He scored at great risk to his precious knee. Not like a Tory to do that. Put himself at risk for uh, the greater good. But He'll have private health insurance. He doesn't have to worry about it. He'll have a... If he, there's any damage to that knee, he'll ever have it replaced with a knee of solid gold within uh, within 24 hours. No waiting list for Pat. <laughs> Who else? I think, well, Pontus had a nice little um, go back at Johnson, didn't he? he replied, it wasn't even a direct tweet from him. I think Phil Hay was reporting something um, and Pontus tweeted saying, this is the guy who thought Ailing wasn't good enough for the championship with some little laughing, crying faces, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. That was good. And his, uh, his centre-back partner, Liam Cooper, 100 games as captain, which is surprising, really, given how... At least a quarter of which we've liked him for. <laughs> I did go... Like, we, we talked earlier on about him growing up, but I went back to... Do you remember the whole saga of him signing? Yes. The, they, it, we put an offer in that was a final offer. And even before that, it was just that Chilino saw him playing against us in a pre-season friendly. I want him. He good. I want him. Tom Lees at that point was being he's like, Tom Lees, go to Sheffield. I want him. 
And then, yeah, we put a statement on the website after having two bids uh, refused, saying that we would uh, not be pursuing our interest in the player. And then we played away to Millwall with our centre-halves were Jason Pierce and Scott Wharton. And then he immediately went out and that week he signed a just gave Chesterfield what they wanted for Liam Cooper and we got uh, Giuseppe Belushki in as well who we'd also been dallying around with he's like just go and get better defenders why have you got all hello Dave (laughs) (laughs) I've missed Massimo in this podcast it's been a while hasn't it but from those difficult beginnings because it wasn't even like anybody really saw the potential in him. It was just Massimo Cellini was going mad and buying the first defender he saw. And he could have easily gone the way of Samba Nadicic or... Dario Del Fabro. And he was the one we call called Brian. Brian Montenegro. He could have just fallen down the Nicky Ajos, um, <laughs> whose, na- whose name I will go to my last days. Right up the Ajos. Unable to pronounce. <laughs> he, that could have happened to Liam Cooper. Instead, he's just, uh, he's turned it round. There's still that slight feeling that he might at some point just kick somebody in the face. <laughs> you know, he's got that every few games. It, it's happened less and less frequently, but he just kicks somebody in the face and gets, <laughs> for no reason, like on the touchline, that Cardiff sending off <laughs> under Thomas Christensen started last season. We were, we were just getting into it then. We're like, oh, Liam Cooper's playing well. Bang. He's just kicked somebody in the face. Could still happen, but he's gone a long time without doing it and it's too. I'll tell you when he'll do it. Wembley Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Preston North End. Three minutes yeah. in. <laughs> In the, Leeds, pe- in the penalty area. Leeds now facing an uphill battle, <laughs> down to 10 men, <laughs> penalty against them. <laughs> oh God, it's it's written in the stars. I might it? try and put some money on that, and re- some request a bet thing. <laughs> Excellent. Want to give a nod to Marcelo Bielsa as well, who's talking about football. We do this job for many reasons, and the most important thing is the happiness we can bring to those who have more difficulties to find happiness in all the moments that are not football. In other words, if your life's a bit crap, come and watch my football team. I'm there for you, baby. And that's where uh, we see the difference between Marcelo Bielsa and Gary Monk. Because uh, that guy who attacked Jack Grealish, his life is obviously a bit crap. And he's run onto the pitch and attacked uh, an opposition player because Gary Monk's football just doesn't make anybody happy. I reckon right. if a Leeds fan had done that, I reckon Bielsa would have him living with him next year. Take him under his wing. Taking him down to Costa. <laughs> Do you remember when that was uh, Massimo Cellino's uh, transfer policy? Well, that's why we were interested in players like Niall Ranger because he was he was specifically asking his scouts to try and find players who had like done jail time or had had serious addictions or other problems, so that he could kind of turn them round and be their, their their big brother, their their helping hand, and put them on the path back to righteousness. Might have a few contacts. Who do we want to give it to? I feel like Liam Cooper should get it this time because he's done he's done some good stuff recently. He has. He's had a very good season. He might be the last chance before he ruins our promotion hopes in the playoff final single-handed. But no, yeah, some deserved credit. He gets uh, a lot of, I'm sure we've said mean things about him on this podcast. We haven't, from recollection, I don't think anybody here has gone on Twitter and added him, calling him rude names. They've not gone that far, but to have uh, Marcelo Bielsa saying the things about him that he said in his pre-reading press conference, you can't find a better professional than him. Uh, he's generous and prioritises the needs of his teammates before his own needs, always willing to help the others, always present in times of adversity, very discreet when the team is successful. He doesn't like the notoriety. If Marcelo Bielsa thinks he's that good, then we can't really argue with him, can we? Well, what a week we've got coming up. They feel like they're getting more and more crucial, which I think is supposed to be the way it works with promotion bids. Is that right? I believe it's been a while, but I believe so. 
Tuesday we face Reading away. Are they the most nondescript football club in this division and maybe the whole of football? Quite possibly, yeah. There's the Lewis Baker factor, which, I mean, it's not any sort of grudge, is it, really? It's just he might build it up in his head a bit. I doubt, he? He, I doubt he cares. From what we saw of him, he's not a man who's massively bothered. No, he doesn't sound bothered. He said uh, part of the reason for moving there is says it's closer to home, which is a bonus, and they made me feel very welcome. Um, and then I like this. It kind of sums him up in a way. He says, it wasn't a problem for me to change from a team near the top to one near the bottom. It was just better for me personally. <laughs> Cheers, Lewis. That's the strange thing about this generation of Chelsea loanees, this whole weird sort of purgatory bunch of footballers who are neither belonging to Chelsea or anybody else. They just sort of float around from club yeah. to club trying to play games. There's no fire in the belly. There's no, it's just Chelsea have ruined them. Essentially, Lewis Baker, we've all seen those uh, clips of him scoring direct free kicks with both feet at once when he was in the England under 17s or whatever. That player is gone just put through the Chelsea mill and there is nothing left, which is maybe why the Reading fans like him now. Apparently he played quite well. They they played Wigan at the weekend. They were 2-1 down in the 88th minute at home to Wigan. Mo Barrow equalised and then Yaku Mieti scored a 97th minute winner and the crowd went absolutely mild uh, when that happened. But um, yeah, they're the warming to him. A tweet from a Reading fan said, from throwing the ball into the stands in injury time to hold on to a lead to cutthroat ruthlessness when contesting a drop ball, Lewis Baker has brought some much needed street smartness to us. I saw a lot of tweets about this drop ball as well. I don't I need to maybe go and find it on YouTube. It's something said like, uh, Lewis Baker, the only player who can turn a drop ball into a counter-attack. He may produce a performance for the ages against us I suspect it's more likely that uh, Calvin Phillips is just going to kick the shit out of him How do you fancy we're going to get on in this? I say 3-0 victory to the mighty Leeds United as we go top of the league and stay there until the end of the season whereupon we are crowned champions and take our rightful place in the English Premier League Probably nervy draw Scoring draw or a Scoring draw Whoscored.com tell me that Reading's strengths are uh, counter-attacks and shooting from direct free kicks. And then that's where it ends. The, the list of weaknesses, they are very weak against defending against through ball attacks and defending against attacks down the wings and defending against long shots and stopping opponents from creating chances. I think we've got we've got the tools to, uh, to really attack them and just uh, not score because that's kind of what we do now. Bamford apart, unless Bamford can sacrifice another knee. But I don't know if his insurance premiums just may become too much for him to handle. If he starts, if he keeps doing that. Um, what do you reckon then, Moscow? I think we're going to smash him. Six. Six nil. Big call. And then obviously a lot of attention on the Sheffield United game at the weekend. Lunchtime kickoff. A season definer, do you think, Michael? I feel nervous about this already. I don't really want it to happen, <laughs> if I'm perfectly honest. We should, I mean, we should give him a good game. They shouldn't win four nil, should they? Do you want to look at their recent form? No. <laughs> <laughs> you have to play dates. I, I, I assume they've they've not doing very well, are they? Play dates. One five, drawn three, lost none. They've scored fifteen and conceded five. They've not conceded a goal in the last five games. Due one. They are. They're due. Well, they're due five really. So maybe we'll score five against them. I think that's how it works. I mean, we have a good. The obviously the four nil in nineteen eighty nine ninety. The go on, Gary Speed. Get yourself. Get one yourself, son. Is the. Uh, the game we look back to, but and I know it was 30 years ago, but um, <laughs> we were in a, a promotion race with them. They were going for the title 
and we beat them 4-0 in an absolute crunch match at a crucial stage of the season. This, I interviewed Brian Dean about this in the summer. I loved the way he was talked about it. He said he was so disappointed because he came that day for playing for Sheffield United. He said, I was ready for business. I went there to do business and they did absolutely nothing. We destroyed Simon Tracy, their goalkeeper, hilariously, and uh, they just couldn't recover. So, the, And they do have a goalkeeper who can be got at. We have seen that with Dean Henderson. And Billy Sharp could play that Brian Dean role of arriving ready to prove a point against his uh, his favoured club. I know he kind of pretends to be a Sheffield United fan. He didn't score against us at, at Bramwell Lane, so it could be a sign that his uh, his record of always scoring against us has turned. I'm clutching at straws. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to win both these games this week. And I say that with, uh, with the utmost confidence, as you can tell from my voice. <laughs> Yeah, you sound absolutely certain of this. No, I think we will. I think we'll win both games. I've got a gut feeling and I think we've bottomed our season out against QPR and that's it now. We're on an uptick right through to the finish and we go up. We have shown lately that if we can kind of forget about form and forget about league position and just take the team on at Elland Road, like as a one-off match, we hammered Derby, hammered Swansea, thrashed West Brom, Norwich, that didn't go so well. But it's there that I think we just need to kind of forget about what Sheffield United have done, forget about where the two teams are on the table, and we just approach it like we did the West Brom match. We just go out there, score after 16 seconds, and score after 32 seconds, and score after whatever, and just keep scoring as many goals, because even if we were 90-0 up going into the last minute, <laughs> I'd probably still be there. Just going, oh, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. Billy Sharp's going to score 90 in injury time. It could be fantastic if we beat especially if we beat Reading first, the atmosphere in Elland Road on Saturday afternoon after we beat Sheffield United could be incredible. But also it's a game that you look at and you just think, oh, maybe this is one that I just don't want to go to. Well, once the Sheffield United game is out of the way, we're hurtling towards Millwall and issue nine of our fanzine, remaining copies of issue eight featuring Lord Bamford on the cover, available now via the squareball.net and on the streets against Sheffield United Saturday lunchtime. Uh, links to the merchandise, the Leeds Carajo mugs available on the website too. And please do go check out The Extra Ball, our second podcast, two ninety nine a month, but you're helping support this one as well. And we'll keep doing more podcasting and hopefully turn this into a full-time venture. Gents, before we sign off, one more thing just to add. I just want to say we've made it all the way to the end of the podcast without mentioning uh, the Bailey Peacock Farrell video that Moscow did. Uh, you know when he was coming through to replace Felix Fiedewald, oh, yeah, yeah. you know that one? Mm. And and Moscow was saying, you know, you don't want to be putting him in, look at him, he's got biscuit wrists, that mm. kind of thing. Moscow sent it to all um, people on his Facebook friend list. And Moscow tried to end, you know, Bailey Peacock Farrell's career. Before, 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 he, yeah. before he'd even had a chance, before he'd even had a chance, he didn't didn't even see him play with his own eyes, he just saw some videos and um, decided that the guy was, uh, was scum and he didn't want him near the, near the club. And the world needed to know. I'm glad we've made it to the end of the podcast without mentioning mm. that, though I'm delighted anyway, mm. so well done us. Nice one. At least we still have time for you to mispronounce Viedvald. Given that you've been saying Marcello for fucking months on end. I learned. I changed. <laughs> I can change. I'm capable of change. Bailey Peacock Farrell, never change. Please do check out the extra podcast, The Extra Ball, at thesquareball.net forward slash The Extra Ball, and we'll speak to you when we are top of the league in podcast 122. The Square Ball Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.